Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. We come this morning to one of the most well-known verses in all Scripture. For some, judge not means we should set aside our standards and not declare anything sinful. For others, it means we can make the standards as high as we want, as long as we meet them, or at least as long as we think we meet them ourselves. Of course, Jesus intends something well beyond those two views. Judging, or a better way to say it, because we have a certain picture of judging, when we hear the word judge, we think condemn, which that is not actually what a judge does. You, no, no court has a judge who every time you go before him, it's an automatic guilty verdict. In fact, if you ever go to a judge that always gives an automatic guilty verdict, I'd say go somewhere else, if you're on the defense, at least. No, judging is discerning right from wrong. Or sometimes it's discerning good from better. But judging is our calling as God's people. You don't get the opportunity to say, I pass. Now, honestly, I've not met many Presbyterians who would love to pass on judging. Okay? That's our one of our denominations special spiritual gifts we're good at judgment at least according to our own standards but judging is our calling Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints do you not know that the saints will judge the world now that's enough right there. I mean, to think, the saints will judge the world. That's a big deal. And, but he, he, does, he doesn't stop there. He says, and if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Okay. That's, that's huge. The saints will judge the world. Then he has one more statement. I will not preach on this statement. But he says, do you not know? that we shall judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life? Just think about that. We will judge angels. Judgment is not an option for God's people. Therefore, we must learn to judge well. That is our calling. It's not whether you judge, but how well you judge, how well you discern. But judgment is more than just learning rules. You know this. If you're a parent, how many times have you had your children come to you and bring a situation that's just not quite black and white? It's not, I was sitting there in my private prayer and my sibling came and hit me over the head and I'm asking you for, for, for righteous judgment here. Boy, those would be easy. But it's not like that most of the time. You could say amen there if you want. 
We know this. So what do you have to do? You have to take the standards of right and wrong. You have to take them in. They have to become a part of who you are. So just like when you're driving, you don't think, okay, at this point I've got to turn, but I've also got to put on the brakes. And you don't go through all those mental processes after you learn to drive. It becomes natural. That's what judging should be for us. It should be something that because we've taken in the, the, the truth of God's Word and the truth of His world, we are able to almost naturally render righteous judgment. But then after that, the, the part that we know so well, Jesus goes on to talk in these other verses about specks and logs, about dogs and pigs, and then he has what often we think is just, just kind of subsection on prayer. And then we get to the golden rule. So on the surface, this looks like a hodgepodge of exhortations, illustrations, and ethical teachings. But Jesus is a much wiser teacher sometimes than we give him credit for. He knows what he's doing. We can trust there's a point to this. And the point to this passage is for us to learn to judge well. It's clear to see that if you read the rest of chapter 7, Jesus does not forbid judging. But he warns us, though. And, and, and so here at this point, what we can see just three really clear elements to this passage. First of all, Jesus warns us against critical judgment. Second, He illustrates foolish judgment. And third, He calls us to pursue the source of perfect judgment. So let's take these together. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, we see a warning against critical judgment. Some take these verses to mean, again, well, we just don't do it. We don't, we, we don't practice judging. It's famously uh, epitomized by the current pope when asked about one who is in a particular very clearly egregious biblical sin, he said, who am I to judge? That's a common view. And it's not just for those people out there. It's for us sometimes in here. We all pick and choose what we judge and what we don't judge. Later on, Jesus will warn in chapter 7 about false prophets and their dangers and about the broad and alluring path. Those are judgments we must make. But to, to say that does not liberate us. To, to, to say that we are called to judge doesn't mean we get to throw lightning bolts on anyone who disagrees with us. There's a saying, the first person I heard uh, ever say this was Doug Wilson, but I, I've retained it in my memory because it, it, it really uh, points out the fallacy of this. It said that there's two pastors from different denominations, and they're talking, and one says to the other, we both serve God, you in your way and I in his. <laughs> this 
is what we naturally do. We fall into this. It's not something where you say, you know, I just feel like I need to be hypercritical today. We don't make that choice. It's just some days we wake up and we see the problems with everybody and everything. And sometimes I've even said, I get on my own nerves some days. We all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of censorious criticism. It feels like someone just poured acid down your throat. You know that burning when you think, I didn't, didn't do what you just said. You're, you're making me look terrible. And we know how that feels. Yet we fall into this ourselves. How often have you been criticized for something and then you turn around and you look for someone else to criticize? Because you're like, no, you're not going to vent all that on me. I'm going to throw this acid on somebody else. Why? Because we're sinful people. And this is so natural. It's easy. Jesus goes on to say, whatever standard you use in judging others will be used on you. Now, this is, this is two, two parts to this. It's both the, the, by, the pers- by those that you are judging, those that you are critiquing, they will apply the same standards to you, but it's also eschatological. It's also for the end. If you walk in life with a hypercritical attitude, then that will be the standard that, that is applied to you in the same way on the last day. So we must learn to judge well. Nobody's perfect in this, okay? No one judges perfectly. But if you say, I'm content with how well I do this. I'm good. I don't need to grow anymore. I judge pretty well. That's a danger signal. But we do this because we say, look, I conform to my standards. Why can't fill in the blank, whoever this other person is? Or these other people. Why don't they? They don't conform to my standards. And we can do this, and you can just count the ways. Maybe it's theology and doctrine. Maybe it's someone else's personal choices, the way that they keep their house. Or maybe it's their education methods or lack of education methods. Whatever you say. We, we do it all the time. If you are quick, quick to critique and judge other people's motives without patience and careful listening, you will be treated in the same way. So instead, though, Jesus calls us to gracious judgment. Now this gracious judgment points ahead to verse 12. The verse we know is the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Evaluating others with the same grace that you, with which you evaluate yourself. That's our job. Warm, gracious judgment is the correct path. And we don't come to this overnight. It takes work. 
It, 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 it takes patience. It takes time. It takes self-control. It takes falling flat on our face and realizing, I blew that one. And then when you find out that you blew it, you take the kid or whatever the situation is, and you, you apologize. You confess your sin. And you get up and you do it all over again. Hopefully better the next time. Think about Galatians 6.1. Paul, Paul is saying the same thing in Galatians 6.1 that Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. In Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness or gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Just saying what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Whether you are a parent disciplining a child, whether you're talking to your spouse or you're an employer overseeing your employees or you're communicating in a text or online interaction, love cannot begin by assuming evil motives in the other person. So, now that I've handed you that anvil, you say, what do I do with this? How do we grow in gracious judgment? The first way, we're called to receive God's Word. Receive the Word. There's only one perfect standard by which we can judge. It's not how we feel today. It's by the unchanging Word of God. So we listen to it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. When you go to, before a judge in court, you want that judge to know the law. Not only the part that's condemning, but also the part that could help your cause. You want him to know the entirety of the law. It's the same way for us. We should be people who know the Torah. And not just the thou shalt and thou shalt not. But who know like Jesus. When he, when he was brought and he saw the woman caught in adultery, he didn't say, look, she, she's okay. Just pass over it this time. No, he knew more of the law and was applying the law in a better way than the people who were accusing her. Because they didn't bring both parties. They just brought the woman. You're supposed to bring both according to the Mosaic law. He didn't do that. Or excuse me, they didn't do that. Jesus caught them in their trap. He also knew that it wasn't, they didn't care about fulfilling the law towards her. They, were all, they only cared about trapping him. Jesus is the perfect judge. So we too, if we want to judge well, we must receive God's word so that it becomes a part of us. So, Jesus warns against critical judgment. The opposite of that is gracious judgment, and we learn gracious judgment by receiving the law. But the second point here in this passage, we see an illustration of foolish, or illustrations of foolish judgment, verses 3 through 6. So having given the warning, Jesus then engages in some playful yet convincing illustration to show what it looks like when we judge foolishly. Now the first is 
the humorous speck and log picture. Anyone that doubts that Jesus had a, a, a wonderful, underlying, a, a subdued but clear sense of humor should take a close look at this. Because the analogy is, it's really good. Imagine someone, a man who has a beam sticking out of his eye, chasing after someone who has a small speck in their eye. It doesn't take much imagination. I mean, you just picture this in your mind. Guy with a pole coming out, as absurd as that is, and then chasing after someone and saying, I, got, I see this little thing in your eye. And so he's got this pole. And every time he turns, somebody's getting hit. And he can't, keeps on doing this. This is something look, right out of a Three Stooges sketch. I mean, it, it, it's really it's absurd, but it makes the point. Harsh or censorious judgment is gonna, will do more damage to others than it will provide help to others. But the one who has the pole sticking out of his eye doesn't know because, well, if you've got a pole sticking out of your eye, you're probably blind in that eye. So if you, have, if you put your hand over your left eye, you can see a lot of things with your right eye, but you know what you can't see? You can't see your hand over your left eye. When we are blind in our sin, we don't see we're blind in our sin. So it's like the, the old job interview questions. What are your blind spots? Have you ever asked yourself, don't have, if you're ever a job interview, don't do this, okay? Don't tell the person, if I knew what they were, they wouldn't be blind spots. That's a good way to not get a job. But it's true. We're caught, we have these not just blind spots, we have poles sticking out of our eye. And other people can see them. And then when someone says, you know what, you got a pole sticking out of your eye, what do we do? We, often we don't say, thank you for telling me that. I appreciate that. No, he said, how dare you? And then we end up quoting this verse back to them. And we're really just, you know, this, this is not the right type of mixed martial arts methods that, that we should use when it comes to receiving correction. So we, we can learn to correct foolish judgment also, not only by receiving God's word, but we also learn about being willing to receive correction. We, should, we must be willing to receive correction. By nature, this is not easy. If it was, we wouldn't have trouble doing it. So without, one, without praying that the person sitting next to you is really getting the message here, let me ask, are you getting the message here? How well do you receive correction? You say, but the person who's correcting me has got a lot of problems. You don't know. And you're right, I don't. But I know this, God loves you too much than to let you walk through life blind with poles coming out of your eye, whacking people over the head. He loves you too much than to let you do that. And He will send you correction any number of ways if you'll receive it. So receive it. It's hard. It takes humility. 
And then sometimes we say, okay, I hear what you're saying and I repent, but now let me talk about the, the, what I think I see in your eye. That's not the, the, don't receive it just so you can then go on the attack. That's the first illustration of foolish judgment. But then Jesus offers another illustration in a similar vein. This is a picture of giving beautiful and holy things, pearls and things that were dedicated to the temple to unclean animals, to dogs and pigs. Now sadly, we're better at citing this verse when we lose an argument than we are at applying it before we start the argument. You know, you say something to someone, they have a snarky comment back and you say, I just cast my pearls before swine. No, or maybe yes. But then citing the verse is not, that's just, a, a, that, just one-upping, trying to show a little bit more pride. This foolish judgment that Jesus is talking about is when we get involved in never-ending verbal battles. There's plenty of times, brothers and sisters, we have good things to say. We have wonderful, true, accurate things to say. And there are Many of those times when we have the right, when we have what we think is the correct thing to say, we need to keep our mouth shut. There was a story once told by a man. He, was, he had been in the ministry, but he was very harsh. Very harsh with his spouse. And eventually... She told him, I can't deal with it anymore. And as she was walking, I mean, she, she, she had told him they'd been to counseling together and he had been told by, by the counselor, you've got a very critical spirit. And he wouldn't receive it. And, fine, and one day as his wife said, their, their kids were gone and she said, I can't continue in this. And she is starting to walk out the door, the only thing he can do is just quote Bible verses at her about how wicked she is for violating God's law. Now look, was he right? Is he correct that that is not the way? Well, yes, we can grant that, but you know what? There's more to being right than marshalling Bible verses on your side. If you use the scripture as a, as a cudgel on people, that's not the right way. But there are times when the person that we're talking to, we know the, per, the one we're interacting with is foolish. That person cannot receive what we're saying. And according to Jesus, it is possible to waste our words. Once we've given our pearls of wisdom, the ignorant person tramples our words and then turns around and says, now I'm coming for you. And they go both barrels at us and we think, I've just been giving what is true and right and now you're going to argue. Now it takes wise judgment, saints of God, to distinguish Proverbs 26.4 which says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him with 
The very next verse, Proverbs 26, 26, 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. It doesn't mean that every time someone rejects the truth that you failed Jesus' test, that you've cast your pearls before swine. But to continue in an argument with a hardened fool is to be foolish yourself. But we have to be right. We have to make the other person understand. And if I say it just a little bit louder or in all caps, they'll get it then. That's, that's how they'll know that this is the right way. Is it? Let me offer you some freedom this morning. You are not God's watchdog. You've not been given the task of correcting every wrong statement that you read or hear. Trust God and walk away. Jesus told his disciples, if they will not receive your word, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. So how do we attain that wisdom? That's hard. I mean, it, it is hard. I mean, have you ever tried walking away when your blood pressure's high, your emotions are up, and you just really want to lay into it to the glory of God? How easy is that? It's not. But there's really good news. Really good news. And that news is found in verses 7 through 11. And this is the third part of learning to judge well. We must pursue the source of perfect judgment. Pursue the source of perfect judgment. The wisdom that we are called to use and to learn so that we may judge rightly is not, does not come cheaply. It does not come quickly. We don't get it by reading another book or hearing another podcast. It's not more information we need. It's divine wisdom from the triune God. It takes years of steeping in Scripture, of listening, of receiving correction, and learning through suffering. That's not what we want. How many people say, yes, I want wisdom and I'll suffer for it? No. We must not become discouraged when it's hard and when we fail. Jesus calls us to ask, seek, and knock. Have you ever wondered why, why does he go from don't cast your pearls before swine immediately to... Ask and it will be given to you. Now, sometimes we just turn this directly into just a prayer in general, which you can. It's true. Jesus says a similar thing in other places. That, I mean, he uses the how much more argument when it comes to prayer. But remember the context of what he's talking about here. He's talking about working and judging with great wisdom. How do we attain that? You have to ask. You have to seek. And you have to knock. You've got to work at it. You must persist in it. 
Scripture says that the parables of Jesus were given to obscure the truth, not reveal it. Jesus was setting a stumbling block before men, which demands that if they were, will follow him, they must press through the stumbling block. Now, we can't press like the rich young ruler who brings all the worldly mess. The rich young ruler had a list of everything he had done. All, he had kept all the commandments, but he was also bringing a lot of mammon with him. And Jesus says, give it all away. So we don't press like that. We don't press with all of our accomplishments. All the, all the letters we have by our name, and so on. To follow Him, we must come humbly, acknowledging our needs and persevering through what feels sometimes like God's neglect. And this is the part of wisdom that is the hardest. This is not just a call to pray, but to seek God. This is how we attain the wisdom for judging we need. We seek the source of perfect judgment, who is God Himself. We pursue Him. We follow, even at the times where it feels like there's no point, there's no use. I don't know why I'm trying. That's what we feel like. But we don't give in to those feelings because the Spirit's working. He's not finished with you. You may think, I'm done. I have nothing else to give. I'm useless. I'm washed up. I feel like the biggest nitwit on the earth. And I have nothing to bring. And he says, I've just gotten started. He's not finished. I don't care what you think. He's not finished with you yet. Young, old, rich, poor, doesn't matter. He has things for you to do. And that's good news. Wherever you are, Press. Continue. This is where the wisdom that we're called to exercise corresponds with what James says in James chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We're familiar with that. But just before that, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, diverse temptations, to various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you can be perfect, that you can be mature, complete, entire, wanting nothing. Then, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What wisdom do they need? The wisdom that comes through trials. This is not cheap wisdom. It's hard-won wisdom. Wisdom comes when we come to the end of ourselves and we see, that we know, and we see what we know our Father will provide. So if you want to grow in heavenly wisdom, you must come consistently to the source of perfect wisdom. As you continue to pursue Him and ask, as you labor through your trials while you trust His sovereign hand, this wisdom will come. This prepares us for the end, for the purpose in life. As we learn wise discernment, we are conformed to Christ and His Word. We reflect the image to which people are drawn. And this is where verse 12 comes. Whatever you would that men would do to you, do to them. For this is the law 
and the prophets. Why did Jesus tack that statement on to the end? Gracious judgment, practicing this divine wisdom, will result in treating others the way we want to be treated. This is what it looks like to follow the Scripture. This is the summary of God's Word. In conclusion, judging well is our calling and our destiny. We will judge the world and we will judge angels. So it's best we learn now how to judge wisely. It's not about learning so we can pounce on all those immature Christians and non-Christians. It's learning how to demonstrate the glorious wisdom of God's kingdom. The wisdom that drew ancient Romans when all of their court systems were falling apart, it was a debauched mess. You had non-believers coming to the church saying, will you please judge our problem because we know we can't get justice in those courts. That's what it should look like. Mature judgment is a tool of dominion, not a club for cracking heads. Exercising it can transform a marriage, a household, a community, and even a country. So put in the work of learning wise judgment so that people will, even as they did with Solomon, desire your wisdom and then give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. And I pray that we would learn to walk in this wisdom. We would receive it and you would be glorified in it. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's continue our worship by receiving our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the gifts you have given. And now as we give a portion of these back to you, we do so with glad hearts, trusting that you will use them to the glory of your kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's Trinity Reformed, K-I-R-K dot com.